Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. We have to have the Word. We must have the Word. In these days, we must have the Word. Fellowship's great. Worship's great. Music is great. Our pastor's team is great. But we must have the Word. It is the light for our feet and for our path. It is the, it is the Word. And as you're turning there, I just want to just introduce this, is that I know that many of you understand that we are in the middle of, and we have been for about 30 plus years, in the middle of what I would call the great culture wars. You see, our culture would tell us that we accidentally involved, but the church tells us that we were created by God. The culture around us tells us that gender is fluid, but the Word of God says that He created man and woman. Our culture would tell us that sex is fun and free, but the church, the Word of God says, is that sex is for marriage between one man and one woman for life. The culture says that all religions lead to the same place. And the church, the Word of God says, yes, all religions lead to the same place. Hell, except for Christianity. We've been in this culture divide for such a long time. And let me just tell you, life looks different from one side to the other. Now get ready this morning because you're going to get deep in the weeds with me today. As I studied James chapter 3, I really dove deep. Because I know this, that the darker things get around us, the deeper we need to go. You need to go deeper in the Word, deeper in prayer, deeper in fellowship, deeper in your commitment to God because the world is not going to let up. And the only way that you get frustrated in your Christian walk and a world around, in the world we live around us is if you let up. Don't let up. And so biblically... Um, people assume people assume that there are many different cultures. And in this room, we have lots of different cultures. Biblically, there's actually only two cultures. You'll only find two cultures. Am I cutting in and out? I don't know what that problem is. Wave at me, I'll switch to the handheld, okay? Biblically, there's only two cultures. Every aspect of every other culture that's ever found on anywhere else in the, in the world is borrowed from these two places that the Bible describes, from these two cultures. The Bible says there's two cultures. There's one that comes down from heaven, and there is a culture that comes up from hell. There's only those two cultures that exist. And every other culture in the world, African continent, whether it's on this continent, no matter where it is, it comes from those two cultures coming up or coming down. And so when human history concludes, there's still going to be those two cultures. There's going to be the kingdom of God and there's going to be the judgment of hell. There's only going to be those two cultures ever because that's how the Bible describes it. So if you're a Christian right now, here's what you know. You are living in between the tug of those two cultures. You live between the tug of pulling hell. All right. And pulling hell up. You live in between those two. And the tension is real. Watch the news. The tension becomes real because you're sitting there as a Christian believer and you're saying, man, I am uncomfortable with what's going on. 
And if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, maybe you need to go back to God's word and check your salvation. The thing is, is that daily you make a decision in your life, am I going to bring heaven down or am I going to bring hell up? That's the decision that you and I make every day. Am I going to bring heaven down in my life or am I going to bring hell up in my life? Am I going to bring heaven down in my family or am I going to bring hell up in my family? Am I going to bring heaven down on the job or am I going to bring hell up on the job? It's your decision. And we, we, can, we can fulfill that decision by doing one of those two things and showing us uh, how we're going to help and, and assist those two cultures as they invade in one another. We're in that tension. We're in that, in that no man's land where we're pulling one down or pulling one up. So the point what I want you to make today, and if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to see, is that the culture that you strive for will determine the person you will become and the legacy that you will leave. If you are a person who continually pulls heaven down everywhere you go, that will determine the flourishment and the prosperity of your life and the legacy that you're going to leave behind your family and your children. However you make those decisions will determine your life. It will determine the life of your marriage. It will determine the life of your family. It will determine the life of your business. It determines the life of this church. It determines the life of whatever small group you're a part of. Are we going to pull heaven down or are we going to pull hell up? And that's the decision that we have to make. And James describes this in the last few verses of James chapter 3. I want you to look at it with me, verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Look at verse 15. For this is not the wisdom that comes, what? Down from from above or heaven. But it is earthly. It is pulled up. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James makes this comparison between this heaven down, hell up culture in the last part of of chapter 3 as he begins to describe wisdom. Now, this didn't make it into your notes, but let me give you my definition of what wisdom is. Wisdom is the things that you do because of the decisions you make about the knowledge that you have. Let me say that again. Wisdom for us, and you can apply this in every form of your life, wisdom are the things that you do because of the decisions you make about the knowledge that you have been given or the knowledge that you have. In other words, wisdom, as, as James is using it here, could describe your lifestyle, how you live, 
what you respond to in the world, how you, how you live your life, how you walk, how you talk, how you, what you do with your life. That is wisdom. It's the lifestyle. It's, it's the, the things you do because of the decision you've made, because of the knowledge that you, that you have. And, you have. and as you live and you apply wisdom, it creates a culture. Culture is the environment that you occupy. Culture is what you teach and what you tolerate. Whatever you teach in your home and whatever you tolerate in home, you have created a culture in your home. And so when you create this wisdom that comes from God and you're pulling heaven down, you create a culture in your home. You create a culture in your kid's life. You create a culture in your workplace. You create a culture in your school. And this happens because we're either pulling down heaven or we're pulling up hell. And we make that decision every day. Let's look at the hell up culture James describes. Look at verse 15. He says, it is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. These are the dominant characteristics that fill our society today. It describes the way most people live. It describes the way most people talk. It describes the way most people vote. It describes the way most people behave. It's the primary factor that determines the course of most everybody's life. It's how they do their deeds, how, how they do their days, how they do their deeds, and how they make their dollars. This idea determines everything about their life because it is a hell-up culture that we currently live in right now. Can someone say amen to that? We live in a very hell-up culture. And James says this. He says, hell-up culture is noticeable by several actions. Look at with me in verse 14. He says, it begins with bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. Paul uses the Greek words, pikron zelon, which which means hostile zeal, passionate hostility. Now, bitterness can take on two types. First of all, it can be perceived bitterness, a perceived offense where you feel like you've been wronged. But here's what I want you to understand real quickly about bitterness as I cruise through this really fast, is that bitterness is the vehicle for the demonic. The same way that you got in your car and you loaded your kids or you loaded your spouse up and you drove to church this morning is the same way that the demonic load up in your life. They travel in the form and bitterness and you, and you can carry demonic if you have bitterness in your heart. You carry that everywhere you go. If there's bitterness in your heart, the demonic will be present in your life, in your family, in your relationships. It's the vehicle whereby they travel. And the only way to remove bitterness from your heart is what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. But then there's this other form, which is the form that that James is talking about. He says, there is bitter jealousy. It's envy. This is, it's not as, it's not as pronounced, but it's even more pernicious because this type of bitterness is, is what it's like when someone doesn't like you and you really haven't ever done anything for, to them. Matter of fact, you may not even know them but they don't like you. And the reason why they don't like you is not that you did something bad. It's that God did something good.
God did something for them and he didn't do it for you, the same thing for you. And therefore there is a, there is a, a root that has grown in your heart toward that person. Social media exists today generally as a part of the hell up culture. I say that because social media really perpetuates the ministry of bitter jealousy. Oh, you got a new car? Yeah, I drive a clunker. You lost 20 pounds? Well, I found it. You have a loving family? Nice, beautiful picture? I don't have anybody. And whether you know them or not, what God has done in their life becomes a root of bitterness in yours because you say, God, why didn't you do that in my life as you've done in their life? And these shallow glimpses that you can take of other people's lives can cause this bitter root to swell up in your life. I've seen this occur in siblings, and it's tragic. One brother is successful, the other not so much as far as the world's terms, and a root of bitterness can grow up, and before you know it, 40 years pass, and they've not spoken to one another. What has happened? Hell-up culture has taken place in that family, and it's, and, it's, and it's all because of this bitter root of jealousy. What does Paul say, or what does James say? He says in verse, one, in verse 17 of chapter 1, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. All the good things that we receive come from God. When you have a good thing that happens in your life, you know exactly who to tell because you know who those people are in your life who will be excited for you, and then you know those people who are going to rain on your parade. Is it true? Why is that? It's because there is this hell-up culture that's trying to just sneak into your life, and one of the forms that it takes is through this bitter jealousy. Blessing should not trigger bitterness. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. He goes on and look in, look in verse 14. He says, and selfish ambition in your heart. Selfish ambition. The self-seeking attitude, the self-promoting attitude that takes place, honestly, it comes from the core of your heart. Now, the heart is the center of everything that we are. When we say the phrase, Let me get to the heart of the matter. What are they saying? They're saying, I want to know. Let's get to the bottom line. What is it? The Bible speaks about the heart over 900 plus times. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, our decisions are made. Out of the heart, uh, spurns our thoughts. Out of the heart comes our emotions. From the heart comes our worship. All of these things take place out of the heart. And the Bible shows us that until God can change the heart, the outside will never change. We have to have heart surgery in order for our lives to take on another dimension, for for us to quit pulling hell up into our life, we have to have heart surgery so that we can pull heaven down. In the world of the do-it-yourselfer, I want you to know it takes more than watching a YouTube video to fix your heart. 
It requires a complete replacement. You can't just negotiate with your heart. You can't just remodel your heart. It requires a new one. Ezekiel said in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's a whole heart replacement. You say, well, where, why am I pulling hell up in my life? Maybe it's because your heart has not been changed. You can do all the things that requires to, to, to try to pull heaven down, but if your heart has not changed, it will not change your culture in your life or in your family or in your marriage or at your job or even in the church. Too many people try to address the, the how-to first. Can I just tell you, you have to have the want to before the how-to even matters. If you want to fix your marriage, I can tell you how to do that. You want to get rid of bitterness, I can tell you how to do that. You want to forgive somebody, I can show you how to do that. You want to get help, I can show you how to do that. You want to break an addiction, I can show you how to do that. But let me tell you something, it has to begin with the want to. Your heart is the compass of your life. And James says, selfish ambition inside your heart will pull hell up into your life every time. The motives of your heart. Now, just realize as you read that, not all ambition is bad. God loves godly ambition. The Lord gets, gets no glory out of laziness. Come on. Do the best you can. Be the best you can. Humility is the way that you approach ambition in a, as a Christian. Because what humility does is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. So go out and do what God's called you to do. Be the CEO of your company. I was watching Cease... Uh, business news this week and there was a gentleman who was the CEO. He was retiring from a major Fortune 500 company. He started that company 40 years ago sweeping the floors and went all the way up to the top office. He was the floor sweeper and became the CEO. Thank the Lord he's a good Christian man. He saw that God used him. Start companies. Become CEOs. Get awards, do ministry, be generous, change the world. The Lord favors his people, so why not you, right? You have the greatest opportunity for success in your life because the Lord is with you. And then the third thing, Paul, uh, James, I keep wanting to call him Paul. James says this, he says, he said, hell up, this earthly, unspiritual, demonic culture comes from boasting and being false with the truth. We like to boast. We see it every day on our screens. People boast about three things. They boast about their possessions, they boast about their positions, and they boast about their plans. Those are the three main things as I've looked through the pictures. We boast about those things. I'll just be honest, when it's all said and done, not much is really said and done. We just like to talk. What you have to understand is 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 11 says this, Tell him who puts on his armor should not boast like the one who takes it off. Man, that's pretty good. In other words, don't start talking until you've been on the battlefield and you start taking your armor off describing the battle. Everybody's tough in boot camp. 
Every, every man is the best husband on his wedding day. Every woman says, I'm going to be the best mom ever until little junior comes along. But then the fight really starts. Do your talking by doing your walking. You see, Scripture says, let him who boasts, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me just tell you, there's a difference between a testimony and a biography. The testimony is all about what God has done in your life. A biography is what you have accomplished in your life. And I pray that everything that happens in your life, as God does it, you give him all the glory and you praise him and you, and you tell about him and you tell the goodness of God and you testify all of the wonderful things that he has done. He doesn't need you to talk about yourself. A biography says like this, I prayed and my faith brought the healing power of God upon my life. No, it says I prayed and God was gracious enough to give me healing in my life. Praise and thanks be to God. That's a testimony. But it's the boasting and those things that bring hell up. The bitterness, the selfishness, the talk. It brings hell up into our lives. And James says those things end up in something, this hell up culture ends up in two things. First of all, it ends up in disorder. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder. You know that hell is being pulled up when there is disorder and division. Take a moment and look at our nation. Us versus them. Lots of drama. True or false? Our world has a disorder problem. Why? What did verse 16 say? Whenever hell's being pulled up, there's a disorder problem. It will result in disorder every time. Years ago, I was called to go into a business meeting. There was a church that was having trouble. It was around here. It was locally. They called me to come and help to kind of mediate, be in the middle. Walked in, sat down. I could tell who the kind of the power brokers were in the church. And one man, he kind of had, hey, hey, pastor, can I talk to you? And he pulled me off to the side and he said, I just need to know, are you, are you, are you with me or are you going to be with them? I looked at him and I said, well, I'm going to be wherever the kingdom is. So if you're for the kingdom, then I'm for you. But if you're not, I'm against you. Whatever the kingdom is, is where I'm going to stand Disorder in the church comes when we begin to think about and love ourselves more than we begin to love the kingdom. For example, I've got preacher friends, people that I know, and they don't preach on sin anymore. They don't talk about repentance. They don't talk and teach that hell is hot. One preacher friend, I asked him, we was talking. I said, I said, when's the last time you taught about the Holy Spirit? He said, oh, I don't teach about the Holy Spirit. And I said, what? He said, yeah, it's messy. It's got to be the kingdom, my friends. 
have not. And I don't plan on changing sides anytime soon. I am on the side of the kingdom. Whether my truth-telling affects the attendance or the giving or our standing in the community, my obligation as a deliverer of the word of God has to be that I will stand with the kingdom. Because when you begin to pull hell up into the church, it creates disorder and factions and divisions. And it creates a false sense of security within the people of God, thinking that they can live how they want to live throughout the week and show up on Sunday and still go through the pearly gates. Friends, that's not the way the Word of God says. And I have to be honest with you because I am responsible for you to tell you the truth, to deliver what the Word of God says. We have to, as a church, as the people of God, pick up the Word of God again. See, it's authority. Because let me tell you, like I said earlier, the darker the world gets, the deeper you'd better go. It says that, the, that this hell-up culture creates disorder. Let me tell you, you can see it in homes, in families. If you're pulling hell up, you'll see disorder in a family. You'll, you'll see chaos and drama always. Why? Because the decision is being made to pull the hell up culture, hell up into my life. And all hell breaks loose when you pull that culture into your life. He says the second, thing, the second result in verse 16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be every vile practice. Hell-up culture includes every vile practice. This is basically James's junk drawer of sinful behavior. Anybody got a junk drawer in your house? How many of you have multiple junk drawers? Be honest. Lord Jesus, help them all. It's lying right now. You got junk drawers in your house. I know you do. We've got two junk drawers that are 16 inches apart because one junk drawer got so full, we had to put it in transfer to another and create another junk drawer. Then Shannon came along and she cleaned it all up. And I said, what meaneth this? So I had to go 16 feet away, find another drawer and create another junk drawer. Let me tell you something. Every vile practice is what James says. Every vile practice. There is no limit to vile behavior in any person. How many times have we seen on TV the mom come up after the son or the daughter has done something? They say, you know what? I just never thought he could do something. I never thought she was capable of doing it. Friends, when you're inviting hell up into your life, you're, you're capable of just about anything. What's happened is what we've created is this new thesaurus. You know, Satan has a thesaurus. And instead of calling sin, sin, we call it alternatives. It's an alternate lifestyle. No, friend, it's sin. It's progressivism. No, friend, it's sin. It's tolerance. No, friend, it's sin. Sin is still sin because bitter and selfishness and boastful and and disorder and vile acts still pull hell up into your life. 
in our culture, I told you I was going to wade deep into the weeds, and I know I, I don't want you to pay attention to your watch. I know what time it is, so everybody just stay with me. In our culture, what we see today, it has, it has made its way and formalized into an ideology that has basically become a secular religion in Western society, not just in America, but in Western society. You look at Western Europe now, and those of you who are in the know and you pay attention to what's going on around the world, this, this, these ideas have formalized, this hell up and heaven down conflict has formalized itself. And the reality is there's a name for it. There is traditional theory or Christian theology, Judeo-Christian principles that opposes what we call in our day and what, what academia calls critical theory. Let me just take you down that road for just a moment. I don't want to chase this hole too far. Hell up culture has formalized itself into this idea. And the clash comes when Christian theology or this book conflicts with what the ideology of secular humanism has produced, which is called critical theory. Let me give you the differences. Christian theology is a theory, and, and, and traditional theory is a, theor- is a theory, is a way of living. It is wisdom that considers that building up and constructing things is the way to go to life and to flourishment and to prosperity. It says this, that there is a man and a woman, that there is good and evil, that there is truth and there is lie, that there is God and Satan. And if you build your marriage upon those ideas, if you build your family on those ideas, if you build your business and your church and your civil structure and society on those ideas, you will flourish and you will prosper and you will find success and people will get along and there will be all types of good things that will come out of that idea. That's traditional theory. There must be non-negotiables, absolute truth that you build your life upon that translates into wisdom. Remember, wisdom is the way you behave because of the decisions that you make about the knowledge that you have. But on the other side, what we have today is we have what we call critical theory. It is the hell up idea And its basic goal is how do you break or how do you deconstruct everything? How do you dismantle gender? How do you dismantle marriage? How do you dismantle family? How do you dismantle the church? How do you dismantle the economy? How do you dismantle the social order? And the goal is to see how we can break Christianity, how we can break sex, how we can break marriage and children, how we can break uh, education so that we can build it back the way that we determine is right. What James chapter 3 is explaining in the first century is the very challenge that we continue to see in our world and culture wars today. It's the issue of our day that's playing itself out right in our living rooms, on our TVs, and on our phones. And James says that culture either comes down from heaven or is pulled up from hell. The hell-up culture has its origins in Satan itself, itself because he began this culture, this critical theory. You know why it comes from him? It's because he was the first critic. 
The spirit of the critic comes from Satan himself. What does he do? He shows up and he shows up in heaven as this, as this, this incredible being that God had created. He, he, is, he has been entrusted with, with, with beauty and, 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 and authority. And he shows up and he looks at God and he says, look, I don't like the way you're running things. I don't like how things are going here. I, I think that I deserve better. Why am I serving you? I think I should be served as well. And you know how the story goes. His chief goal was to dethrone God and to enthrone himself. Ezekiel says in chapter 28, verse 17, your heart became proud of account of your beauty and you are corrupted. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and I made a spectacle of you before the ages. God says, your critique is not well received. So you're out. And God doesn't throw him out. Revelation chapter 12 says the angels throw him out. The reason why he let the angels do it is because Satan is not God's peer. He let Michael and the other fellas, hey, ditch this guy. And they did. And the Bible says in Revelation 12 that they took him and they fought against him and they hurled him to the earth. And in in Revelation chapter 12, it says, for he is the accuser of the brothers. He is the critic of your life. He is the birth giver of critical theory. I want to criticize everything that I see and I want to take it down and destroy it so I can build it back in my image. Satan's better way is the same spirit that we have in the world today as John described as the spirit of the Antichrist, is the criticizing of God's truth, of God's word. And verse 15 says, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder in every vile practice. All of that brought us to the same moment in history where the church is either going to make a decision, are we in this day in 2023 going to pull heaven down on us or are we going to pull hell up into us? So look at verse 17, and I'm going to close with this. Verse 17 says, But wisdom that comes from above, heaven down. My life, my decisions, my knowledge that comes from above is heaven down. You see, our problems are here, but our answers are there. Destruction is here, but restoration is up there. Bitterness is here. Forgiveness is up there. Sickness is here, but healing comes from there. Come on, somebody. It's pulling heaven down. Sin may be here, but salvation comes from there. And so we pull heaven down onto us. James says, let it come from above. Let your wisdom come from above. Let everything that God has provided for you be pulled down into your life, into your marriage, into your family, into your children, into your church. Pull heaven down. We have to pull heaven down. And he says, what does that look like? Well, look at verse 17. First of all, it's pure. It's a moral life, meaning that your life has been changed from the inside out and it glows on the outside. I belong to the Lord. My eyes, my ears, my mouth, everything that I am, my sexuality, my thoughts, they all belong to God. I want to live a pure life. I want to live a holy life. 
Because that's where it comes from. It comes from heaven. He says it's peaceable. It's peace-loving. A person who's pulling heaven down is a person who is always seeking to resolve conflict and not create it. A person who is pulling heaven down is not looking to win an argument. They're looking to end the argument. That's peaceable. That's being peaceable. Too often we we wake up and we say, well, who are we going to be against today? Who am I going to fight back on today? Who am I going to come against today? Let me tell you something. We peaceably come to our world and we say, we ask that the Prince of Peace would just make our day go well. Purity, peaceable. Look at the next one. He says he's gentle. The person who is pulling heaven down into his life, they're gentle. They they respond in kindness. They respond with fairness because that's the way God leads us. That's the way God leads, and that's how we should also lead or walk. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. There are two ways that you can deal with other people. You can deal with them by control or you can deal with them by influence. The difference is the jihadis, they want to force conversion, but a Christian lives out conversion. It's open to reason, verse 17. It means you're persuadable. You're willing to listen. That is a lost art in our world. No one wants to talk. Because we know what camp you're in. I don't want to listen to you. I have nothing to say to you. I have nothing that I want to hear from you. No real discourse ever even occurs today because nobody's willing to listen. Nobody's willing. And, and what's sad is facts don't even matter in our culture today. In the hell up culture, facts don't even matter. The sky's blue. No, it's not. It's green because I've been told it's green. By who? My professor. Okay. It's full of mercy and good fruits, which is the opposite of being unspiritual. It has a forgiving attitude. Fruits, the, the fruits are shown in your life and your marriage and your kids. It's impartial. Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Did you know there's a two sides to every story? I love it when I do marriage counseling. And one shows up before the other. There's two sides always to every story. That's impartiality. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, wavering. There's, there is a truth to be, to be had and both sides must pursue it. And then finally, it's sincere. The person who is pulling heaven down is sincere. They don't flatter people. Coming to church is not a show. It's not so that you can please your husband. That's not sincerity. It's sincere. You're not flattering people. You're not trying to to be a pleaser. But what you do, you do unto the Lord. You do it for the best of the Lord, for the glory of God, and for for the benefit of everyone around you. That's why you do it. These are the people who are pulling heaven down in their life, James says. Look at that last verse. If you have this life, if you're pulling down this life, 
there will be a harvest of righteousness. When you're right with God, your life flourishes. It prospers. When you're pulling heaven down, you're going to, you're going to, you're sowing seeds into the ground that are going to produce something in your life that is going to flourish you and prosper you. If you're pulling hell up, you're sowing weeds and thorns that are going to entangle you, not just tomorrow, but they will entangle you for years. And so here's my question to you. What culture are you pulling down today? Are you pulling heaven up in your home? Or heaven down in your home? Are you pulling hell up in your home? Are you pulling heaven down when you go to work? Or the first thing you do when you get to work is you start the criticizing of the workplace. You pulling hell up into that place. It's going to produce disorder. It's going to produce temper, anger, and rage. What are you? What, what is your culture? What is your culture in your marriage? Are you pulling heaven down? Or are you pulling hell up? Are you peaceable? Are you trying to resolve the argument, or are you just creating the argument? You you continue because you're going to win this argument. I'm right, and I want her to know it. Are you pulling hell up? You're pulling heaven down. I'd like for us just to bow our head this morning. What I understand about this passage of Scripture that James walks us through is that whatever culture is in your heart is the culture that will be in your home. It will be in your church. It will be in your work. It will be in your marriage. It will be in your family. Whatever culture is in your heart, whatever you're pulling down or pulling up in your heart, that's what is going to show in every area of your life. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you have no option but pull hell up into your life. All you're doing is pulling hell up every day. And you're building thorns and you're building traps and and pitfalls that you're going to stumble into and it's going to crash and burn because that's what hell up culture does. It destroys, it takes down. And if you don't know the Lord or you're not living for Jesus and following him according to his word, my friend, you need to make a turn and it starts right here. First you say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me, I have failed. I have sinned against you. I have broken faith with you. And it's created disorder and it's produced terrible fruit in my life. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I need to change in me so I can change in my home and in my family. I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Is anybody in this room? Yes. Yes, I see your hands. You can put them up there. Yes, yes. I need a change in my heart. I need a change in my heart so that it can change my entire life. I want to pull heaven down. I tell you, when you do that, what you're doing is you're inviting Jesus to come in 
and to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. And some of you, you've invited Jesus to come in, but you're also trying to pull hell up at the same time. Friends, it don't work that way. You need to say, Lord, forgive me. I've failed. Change me from the inside out so that I can pull heaven down into my life. I'd like for everyone at Wood to stand. I want to close in prayer. I want to pray for you today. Those of you who raised your hands, I want you to pray that prayer and say, Lord, would you forgive me? He's full of grace. He's full of wisdom and mercy. He's slow to anger. But he also compels us to change from the inside out. By his grace, we are changed. Ask for the Lord to forgive you today, to change your heart so that you can start not just pulling heaven down into your heart, but you can start pulling heaven down into your home, into your marriage, into your family, into your kids. Pray that as I pray over you today, those of you who raise your hands. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day that we have been able to be a part of. From the very first song, Lord God, the first note that was played, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Now, right now, Lord, in this moment, for the next 90 seconds, Lord, I pray that you would let your spirit speak to those, Lord God, that your word has challenged. Lord, I pray that, God, that those in this room, Lord, who have not invited you, Lord Jesus, to come into their life, Lord, that they have never accepted you to be their Lord and Savior, not only to forgive them of their past, but, Lord, to let them be the Lord of their future. Father, I pray that, God, right now, that they would confess their sin to you, that they would admit, Lord, that they have failed over and over, and that, Lord, they need your grace and your mercy to come. That they believe that, Lord, what you did on the cross, you provided forgiveness. That's what it was about. You gave us a new start. So today, Lord, I pray, God, that they would begin to pull heaven down in their life as they receive salvation, Lord, as they pray right there where they sit, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would respond to them, Lord, like you always do. For anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they can be saved. Father, I pray for those of us, Lord God, who have sometimes allowed, Lord, ourselves to pull hell up into our lives, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you would give us the wisdom to see, Lord God, that that decisions or those decisions need to change, that we have got to make a change, Lord. We can't talk about it, Lord. We have to do it by your Spirit. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us the courage, Lord, to pull heaven down into our life instead of pulling hell up into our life. Speak to us. Speak to those, Lord God, who are in this room, Lord, who are dealing with that tension right now in their own family, in their own marriage. Help them, Lord God. Fill their life, Lord, with righteousness. Let them grow up. Harvest a bumper crop of righteousness, flourishing and prospering in their own life. We thank you for this day, and I thank you for what you've done already. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God is good. He is good. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.